This is Content Content, a bi-monthly podcast featuring the people behind the content. I'm Ed Marsh. Today's guest is Patrick Bosek, who is the co-founder and CEO of Jorsek, which is the creators of EasyData. Um, Patrick and I met at LavaCon a few years ago. Uh, I think our first conversation over beers was really pretty nerdy about Dita, um, but we've been friendly since and always catch up. So uh, it's good to have him on the show. Um, Patrick, how are you doing today, man? I'm great, Ed. I'm glad to be here. Cool, yeah. cool. I'm I think glad to have you on. A few years ago is probably not accurate. I think it was like like eight years ago. Uh, that's that's a few still, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it depends on who asks. Yeah. So why don't you tell us, Patrick, a little bit about you and um, you know basically how you got to be a CAO of a basically a uh, a CMS company, I guess. And then I guess is that the correct way to phrase to phrase your your product, Easy Data? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, first of all, what I call it a CMS company? Um, that's an interesting question. I guess I would, you know, broadly speaking, it is a CMS. Um, it's really more of a content lifecycle or content ops platform. Okay. Um, when it comes right down to it, because, you know, it's like, it's authoring, it's delivery, it's management, um, it's um, a lot of rendering, it's, you know, it's an API layer. It's it's really like, it's, an, it's a content ops platform is what it comes down to. Obviously, targeted okay. toward techcom. Um, how did I get to being a co-founder and then the CEO of this company? Well, I founded it with Kate. Okay, there you go. And, uh, you know, we, we did that um, a little bit by accident. You know, the, originally we had, we had, we were thinking more that we were going to be, you know, honestly, almost kind of what headless CMSs are today, but based on XML rather than JSON. Mm-hmm. And that just didn't really work. Uh, it was too early in the market and hmm. XML probably wasn't the right technology, all things considered for the, what we were applying it to. Uh, and then, you know, as we were kind of like, you know, realizing that this wasn't going to be the way that we wanted it to go, you, you kind of start to look for other applications, the tool you built. Um, and eventually we found, you know, the technical communications industry, which, you know, obviously runs on XML. Um, and at that point in time, there wasn't really anything in the way of SaaS product. No, no, let me rephrase that. There was nothing in the way of SaaS product. <laughs> um, so we decided that we were going to be the first SaaS product into the tech com industry, um, you know, by and large. And uh, it, it went, you know, it went well. Like it's just been, it's kind of been, you know, like a steadily growing thing for like 10 years or so, a little over 10 years. Um, you know, we've just kind of brought on more customers every year, um, done bigger and bigger things, uh, lots and lots of iteration on the platform. Um, you know, I think that saying that, you know, we're, we're one of the more forward looking, forward thinking, um, you know, uh, higher dev focused, um, CMS organizations is, is, is not an unfair statement. You know, we put a lot of work in our product, Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, I just kind of got to being in this role because there was no one else to do it. <laughs> i really honest. They, um, they didn't do like a, a nationwide search and decide that I was the guy. Okay. Um, it was, uh, that was one of my follow-ups. <laughs> no, no, um, no, it's, you know, it's just kind of like, it, you know, Casey and I founded it. And at some point we got big enough that we needed C-level titles um, because, you know, like having a company of you know 20 or 30 people with no no sea levels it starts to get weird at some point hmm. um, because people don't know like where the buck stops and all that kind of stuff oh, so wow. you kind of like sit across the table from each other and, and it was kind of like he's the more technical one like he's the father of the product right and so like he's got to be cto and then so by process of elimination i'm ceo um and um, I was handling a lot of sales and stuff like that at that point in time and customer sales. So, I mean, it made sense, but that's, that's largely how we got to where, where we, the division of, of labor that we have. Huh. So, well, how does one get to be, a, well, you said how you got to be the CEO of the company kind of by default, but when did you, like, did you, did you do this out of college? I think you said you started Easy Did It, like you started this as a company prior to you even graduating college, right? Uh, sort of. So okay. we, Casey and I started another organization in college um, that was a hilarious and spectacular failure. Um, <laughs> and then, um, which uh, it was actually, it was a social network designed for judo players. 
but that is a different story and a different lifetime. Um, and so then we took some of the publishing technology that we had built for that. Um, and we started kind of using it as the basis for some, for some consulting projects. And that initially went really well. And we were like, oh, maybe we have a business here. Like, this is a thing that like we could actually turn into a business. Um, and then, you know, the both of us at that point in time were highly technical. We were both developers and we had okay. the business acumen of, you know, like an eight-year-old with a lemonade stand. So we made tons of terrible decisions. Um, and um, we kind of found ourselves like trying to innovate our way into a business, which is not what a business is. Like a business is, you know, an establishment that provides services for money. Um, and it took us a while to figure out that, you know, we couldn't just build something and have people come and, you know, you don't, it's not a build it and they will come. That's not how it works. Um, okay. So we eventually got to the point where like, we realized like we needed to take a different approach. And, you know, Easy Data was kind of born along that journey. Um, mm. And so really where you could put the starting line for Easy Ditto, which is, um, you know, not the name of the company, but really where the company started to become like a company mm -hmm. is in like 2010, 11, in that range. So tell us about that journey to become a company, because as tech creators, we don't get this kind of, you know, this kind of view because we're the people who are working for somebody. Yeah, I mean, it's so... I took a very abnormal path when it comes down to it. And <laughs> That's the way most people get into tech comp. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so there's a couple of different ways you can do it. I wouldn't do it this way again. Um, and it's, it's funny because like when I, I it's, it's not uncommon that I talk about entrepreneurship in some capacity. Like I'll go and talk to like, um, I was going to say kids, but students, <laughs> younger <laughs> people um, about, um, about entrepreneurship and those types of things. And like, this is something that, that, you know, I'll be asked, it's like, how do, how do you go down this path? And the first thing I'll say is don't go down the path I went down. I will tell you about <laughs> my path, but like choose a different one. Use mine as a, as a, as a tale of caution. Um, so like I said a second ago, like we tried to innovate our way into a company and that's just not how it works. Um, unless you're in a very unique circumstance, but if you're building like business tools, you're not building the next great AI or you're not designing you know, a quantum computer or something like that. Like if you're not really like truly breaking boundaries, you can't innovate your way into a business. Like it just doesn't work that way. Um, and that's what we tried to do. And, you know, we had a lot of tenacity and a lot of, um, you know, I think energy to put into the business. Um, and so, you know, it kind of eventually worked out because, you know, you apply enough effort to something and it will almost always work. That's another thing that I've learned. It's like you can literally just force anything in life if you put enough effort into it. Not that you should. There's better ways. Um, so, you know, I think the the key thing with going from nothing to something mm. is really kind of solving the smallest problem that people will pay for. Um, and that's really where you start a business. Is that you you find a problem that a sufficiently large number of people have. Usually you stumble into it. Usually you're doing your job or you're going about life and you go, well, this is stupid. And then um, you realize that you have a, a reasonable way of resolving this issue. Um, and then you, you, know, you convert it into something that can be sold, either a service or a product or something like that. Um, and you know, that's where you have a business. And if there's enough people who want it, they buy it and maybe you iterate on it um, and it grows. Um, the thing not to do is to build something that you think is cool and then try to find a try to find a problem that it solves, which is effectively what really. Oh, well, damn. Well, I'm never going to be an entrepreneur then. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it can work out. It just takes a much longer period of time. So that's just not that's a that, that is my my word of, of caution there. It's start with problem. Don't start with with cool. <laughs> makes sense makes sense i mean i'm not i'm definitely not made out to be an entrepreneur for sure but uh i guess well you said you kind of found your way into techcom how did that happen how did you find our world yeah so that's a funny story um <laughs> so um do you know john turnbull sounds vaguely familiar but i don't know him yeah so it's i asked because that it's it's not uncommon that people in techcom do know him um he's kind of a mythical figure in some ways 
but um, he's he's a great guy, and he actually bumped into us on Twitter of all <laughs> places, like you know, better than a decade ago. And we were talking about, or Casey was talking about, I think more specifically, something having to do with like XML and um, XML authoring tools and something like that. And John like started replying to him, so they started a conversation. Mm-hmm. And then, like a few months later, this man shows up at our office door, and uh, we were in a business incubator. And it wasn't uncommon that you'd get people who would be walking through the incubator and want to see something about, you know, or talk to the people who are starting these, what were largely hobbies, but, you know, we're calling them companies, right? Um, (laughs) So the guy shows up at our door and he's like, hi, I'm John. And I'm like, hi, John, I'm Patrick. (laughs) He wasn't in the office. The office, again, is about the size of the office I'm sitting in now, which I realize is the podcast. That doesn't do much for anybody but you, Um, but it's not (laughs) big. Um, so, uh, Casey was someplace else and, you know, John goes, Oh, I met Casey online and I'm thinking, Oh, this is good. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Um, so I was like, okay, uh, well, um, does he know you're coming? And he's like, no, I thought I'd just drop in. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Creepy. I'm thinking like, what on earth is going on here? Um, so (laughs) So I was like, all right. Uh, so I took him down the hallway to the this conference room, which is a shared conference room. And he starts talking to me. And it's clear this guy knows like a ton about XML publishing, okay. which I had no context for because Casey hadn't told me anything about him. And like he obviously thought that I knew something about him coming into this. Like otherwise, oh. he would have like given me a, a more like normal, rational human's introduction. <laughs> Hi, I'm John. And so about 10 minutes in this conversation, I'm like, who is this guy? Like, what is going on here? So he ended up telling me about the, like, the history of X-Metal. And like, we looked up yeah. X-Metal online and like talked through all that because he like worked at X-Metal for a while. Okay. Um, and then like takes me through like just the whole X-Metal publishing industry, blah, 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 blah. And I showed him the, um, the so I went and got my computer. I'm demoing our software for him. And he was like telling me how we should change it to apply it to TechCom. And like, you know, so at the end of the day, he like hung out for a while and Casey showed back up. He was like, you guys should apply this to TechCom. Like, this is the thing we've been looking for for a mm. decade because all the tools are too hard. Um, and, you know, we, you guys should think about converting this into a TechCom authoring suite. And so then he introduced us to a few other people. Hmm. Um, one of them was uh, Paul Ershik, which I think you do know Paul. Um, the, um, he's, he was also XX Metal. Um, What's his last name? I'm sorry. Lodarchik. No. Okay. Um, I guess I'm I feel like I don't know. I think you'd know Paul if I showed you a picture of him. Okay. Fair. So, anyway, so Paul worked with us for a while and he really got us into the industry and the rest of it's kind of um, probably more well known. <laughs> more well known, yes. So <clears throat> so what's it like being a vendor in this space? I mean, I don't you know, I'm asking from a pure curiosity position because like, you know, I've had vendors, I deal with vendors or whatever, but like what's it like being a tech com vendor in twenty twenty one? Uh <laughs> what is it like being a tech com vendor? Um well, I guess it's exciting. Like, you know, the thing is, so for one thing. Um, TechCom has been changing for a long time, and uh, I think the change has been really broadly positive. Um, cool. Okay, but it's uh, I think one of the things that is, is really important to say is that um, I think TechCom itself is like pure TechCom is going away, and I think that that's really the best thing that's ever happened to TechCom. Um, I think TechCom is becoming product content. And there's a really substantial difference between product content and tech and, and TechCom. Um, now it's gonna mm-hmm. do a lot of the same things, right? Like, so you're still gonna have user manuals, but the problem is that in the past, like TechCom was like the guys who wrote the manual that went in the box, right? It was like, <laughs> right. that was the deliverable. And the web really sets us free. And the other thing too, is that Omnichannel changes the entire rules of engagement for product content. So when you mix together um, 
the tooling and the operational systems and the collaboration um, and the demands of a digital first business, um, suddenly techcom can't be techcom anymore, but it does something very similar to this thing that a company really has to have, which is good product knowledge and reference content. Um, yeah. So you're ending, what you're seeing is you're seeing organizations that are starting to uh, value this thing, which is techcom, but is not really called techcom. And um, <laughs> all the people in techcom are going to become those people. And, you know, they're going to be effectively under knowledge management, which is going to be, I think, a center of excellence in an organization. Um, and that's a, that's a much bigger market. Um, but the thing that's really interesting from a techcom vendor's perspective is that the knowledge-based tools that are out there will never be good enough to build sophisticated manuals, mm -hmm. especially as it relates to things that have like high quantity of reuse, a lot of variance and variableization, um, things that like really require transclusion, like all like the really like important um, industrial grade things that a techcom group needs to produce content at the scale and volume that a techcom um, group needs to produce it. So like those tools will never make their way back to the like the true like core product content applications. But as the techcom tools, easy data, get easier and become more generally available, they can do all the stuff that the knowledge-based tools can do. So what you're going to see is that there's going to be kind of this clash between the traditional knowledge-based stuff, which is very wiki. You know, it's like very like wiki, like structured-ish sometimes, maybe a little bit tagging. Um, and the stuff that's like really like been like kind of hardcore, like, um, you know, tree-based XML structured stuff. And the XML structure stuff is going to slowly win. Like it's going to win over the course of time because it has to. I mean, not everywhere, but like, you know, durable goods, high-tech manufacturing, medical okay. device, B2B software, oil and gas, pharma, like all of these industries which require like really sophisticated um, uh, digital content products to support their physical products or their digital products um, are going to, they have to do it this way and they're going to do this other thing the same way. So it's an, it's an exciting time to be a vendor in this space. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So, well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on there and um, how are things that were like, cause my team is actually, I, I, a little over a year ago, I transferred into the engineering division uh, from one of the financial divisions at my firm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, developers are just craving content. They're just craving good documentation. So it's right. really interesting to see. But are you like, I guess with Easy Data, like where I went from a data based environment in my old role to a markdown based environment, is there challenges in what you have and what you're offering? And like, you know, I mean, I mean, XML and Data are, are pretty much a standard for a lot of people in, in, um, in techcom, but it, do you see markdown as a, as a good thing or a bad thing in that space? Um, I think characterizing it as good or bad is not, yeah. is not the right characterization broadly. So I write documentation in Markdown sometimes, um, but I don't write I don't write things which so Markdown is really really good in certain environments, um, like README files for um, smaller projects. Is Markdown is great, right? So like if you're maintaining um, content with your software products and your software products are small and they don't have a lot of UX to them, like they tend to be very um, like code driven. Mm, so like, okay. You know, like they're the primary UX is a command line or it's an API, that kind of stuff. Um, and like you're maintaining less than a hundred pages of content and it will never change based on the person who's using it. So there's no audience aspect to it then Markdown works. And like, frankly, it works pretty well. Um, you know, I've always, I always kind of compare um, like, you know, Markdown to me is kind of like a bicycle and Ditta is like a dump truck, right? And it's like, they just don't do the same thing despite the fact mm. that you need both of them to deliver stuff, right? <laughs> so, analogy. yeah, so like you're not gonna throw your, um, you know, your, um, your Chinese delivery in the back of a dump truck, um, but you're also not going to move, you know, a bunch of steel with a bicycle. Like they're just they're just two different things completely. So like there's there's a part, you know, if you think of like 
the interchange of knowledge in our organization as being an ecosystem, um, there is undoubtedly room for both of them. They do need to get better at, to some extent, working together. And I say to some extent because I do think that one of the places that Markdown makes the most sense is in fairly isolated content sets, right? So like that's why you use like, like a microservice. If you have a microservice that you're deploying in a GitHub or whatever, and you know you need to provide some documentation to the developers, et cetera, et cetera, whatever that might be, like data makes no sense for that application because like it's just it's some content. It goes with the microservice. You mm -hmm. want to access it when you when you clone the repository, and you want it to show up in your text-based tools. Like putting that in data would be crazy, but if you then need to deploy, you know, 20,000 pages of reference and user content and training content to use the ecosystem, which all these microservices are floating around, like you can't maintain that in Markdown. Like it just doesn't work. Hmm. It's just, it's too big. There's not enough um, validation checking. Um, everything in Markdown is, is basically static sites and static sites kind of top out at a, at a certain size without some of the more advanced like paid services. And even then it's kind of dubious in some ways. Um, there isn't the link validation that you need. There isn't the transclusion that you really need, although you can get some of that stuff with some tools, but still it's not standardized. So there's no way of knowing if it's going to work in other people's tool chains. There's no interoperability between tool chains. Like there's just, there's, it, there's just a lot of things that prevent it from scaling up. Um, so it's not, it's not that one is good or bad. It's that like they both have, they both have a purpose. Um, and you shouldn't use one for the thing that it's not used for. I'll say one more thing about this and then I'll stop. <laughs> um, the thing that always really cracks me up is when you get these, uh, these content teams who come from like a DevOps background and they're really proud of their mediocre um, markdown site. And they spend, and when you really dig into it, they spend all of this time maintaining the tooling around it. Like they built all this custom stuff to do these deployments and like get it up here. And like, just like, there's just all of this tool chain that like is built inside or like stitched together. Like, you know, it, it takes this into account, that into account, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, you could have just bought something off the shelf that does this consistently and had it be somebody else's problem. And it's just, I think that there's more recognition of like that being kind of not the best way to go anymore. I think that's good. So I think that there's going to be a place for both of them in the future. Yeah, I, I there's a lot of things that I miss about that. I really do. It's you know the content reuse, the you know just the the the, the built-in structure. I just loved it, and especially like things like notes. Like you could do you know an at note with an attribute of important, and it just flips the switch and says, oh okay, now we need to be important here. You know the the you know an exclamation point or change it to important. There was just so much of it that I like, but it's I mean, but. There's still just, I mean, it's just, it's just complex to work with. And I was in a team of two people. So it was, you know, I love it and I miss it. I really do. I don't miss XLT. I'm not going to lie to you, but. Uh... <laughs> but you didn't have to be doing XLT. That's why you have vendors. <laughs> well, you know, believe yeah. me, I, I tried. I tried, but it was, you know, it was, no, you don't, you know, the thing is that we didn't have, you know, they weren't willing to throw money at it. And now I left that team. So that says something, I guess. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the reality is that you can get really, really far with a small group using data, um, but you have to have tools. Um, so, you know, it's not, so at, at the, at the very small team level, like if you're just a couple of people, you don't really necessarily need the, the consistency and the link checking and the validation and all those things that you get with data, because like, you can be like, you know, look over the cubicle and be like, hey, you know, what are you doing here? Like, what's this? Like, blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's very easy to maintain those things in, in kind of a more like standard synchronous way. It's when your team gets bigger that it becomes a real issue. Mm. Um, that like all of that, that all of that governance and consistency stuff that's like baked into data that you don't think about um, starts to become a really, really big deal. Yeah. Um, especially as you start to mix more tool chains into it. Um, so, it's again, it's a scale thing. Like data scales up. Like it's it's yeah, something you can like you can put it into the biggest content implementations in the world and it's gonna work. 
But I'm well, I'm curious, like you said, you know, con- tech com, pure tech com content's going away. It's becoming more product content. Now, does that mean, does that introduce the content marketing aspect there to you? Like, that, are you saying that basically we're going to be using the kind of tools or they're going to be using the tools ultimately that we do? Because we have like a product catalog that's generated separately from our product from our technical documentation so i'm wondering about the convergence there of stuff into something like easy data um i tend to think that marketing is not going to start using what we would refer to as techcom tools and techcom is not going to start using what you would typically refer to as marketing tools the way that i i i view the future about this and um I think there's a the total chance that I'm wrong about this, but <laughs> the way that I think about it right now is that I think everything goes to being headless, more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, and okay. I think that there's a separation between the data or the content and the experience. And the one thing that I think people are going to have a challenge with is when developers are putting together experiences, and you know that could be a PDF, frankly, um, but probably won't be in most cases. God, I hope um, not. They'll they have to have a way of coordinating assets that realistically like intermingle in different systems. But I think that all of that is really solvable. Um, I think that you can apply uh, taxonomy layers across content stores. So like one of the ways that I view like a really sophisticated and modern content ecosystem, you have something like Easy Data, you have something that's like a headless CMS for like more standard Marcom content. Um, you have something that is a taxonomy and tagging and relationship store, um, something I don't know, like Pool Party maybe. Um, and you use the APIs and all of these systems to coordinate content experiences based on you know where somebody is in their set of needs as a uh, as a buyer or as a um, as a, uh, a customer. Um, so um, you know I think that I think that's that's realistically kind of how this this all evolves into the future because again it get, kind of gets back to the thing I was saying earlier where it's like. Um, you're never going to write product manuals in a headless CMS because it just doesn't have, it doesn't scale up to where you're going to, you're going to be with it. Maybe really simple ones, like just like really, really basic, like a couple hundred pages, right? Um, but you're also never going to build a website out of a, a data system because like it just doesn't make any sense. Like you really need something else that that does that, right? So I think that there has to be room in the content ecosystem for for um, both of these things. That makes sense. Can you give for people who don't know what exactly a headless CMS is? Can you give them an example or a little explanation? Uh, sure, headless CMS. Uh, a headless CMS is a CMS which is interacted with primarily through its APIs. So the the user experience layer is not embedded in the CMS. So you think about like WordPress, for instance, and you have the data store, which is mostly articles and pages in mm-hmm. the CMS. And then you have like the templating engine where like you install a theme, right? Like in WordPress, you like go install a theme and it mm-hmm. decides how your website's going to be styled. Um, a lot of the other CMSs are like this too. So like uh, Squarespace, Wix, uh, Drupal, every version before maybe the, fir- the newest version has a good API. I'm not really sure. Um, but that was kind of the, that was a web CMS, right? It was presentation layer and data. Um, what a headless CMS does is it says, um, we're not going to do the presentation layer. We're just going to expose the data over APIs. Now, to make that valuable, what it does is it allows you to define your own information architecture in the data layer. So like you can, it, I mean, it's a really fancy like web form effectively is what it really is. Like you can go in and say, like, this is the title, this is the description, this is the primary image, this is the date of something, this is like blah blah blah. You can like you outline fields 
And then you can go and put content into those fields and those fields can be typed. So they can be like a link to an image or a markdown segment mm -hmm. or just text, right? And in that way, when you're building an experience, you can say um, all product content things will have you know X, Y, and Z. I can expect that. So if I want to put them on a page, I can render those things in this way. And I know that there's a limit on the title of this number of characters, so I can be confident that it's not going to you know blah blah blah, right? So it gives you the ability to build experiences that are pretty dynamic. Um, now. Um, that's that's a very flat structure so like you only get basically your fields and the values right so it's 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 tabular effectively like you could you could literally build a headless cms out of a spreadsheet if you were so inclined um not that you should obviously oh god no please don't anyone do that <laughs> but um that's substantially different from an xml cms which has the notion of a tree-based hierarchy, right? Like semantics can go in semantics. Um, so you can have, um, you know, a document in a, in a disk CMS can have semantics embedded at any level. I can wrap a word in semantics. I can wrap a word in multiple sets of semantics. Like there's, the, the structure is, is, is tree-based. So it's table-based versus tree-based. Um, now you can have a headless XML CMS because it's really just the API delivery aspect. And that's what we aim to be. So we aim to be the headless um, CMS for product reference and knowledge content. Um, so the thing to be said here is that uh, the, the current wave of headless CMSs are really good at the Marcom content because you really need to build information architecture that reflects mm -hmm. your business. And that can be really nuanced. Okay. The reason that things like Ditta, well, primarily Ditta, are so dominant in product reference and knowledge content is that that the structure of that content is basically the same for everybody. Like, there's very there's I mean there's some there's some nuance in the way that like the uh, different semantics and tagging structures work for like different businesses, but broadly speaking, reference content kind of is structured the same way and works in the same ways. It's like it's just like learning content. Like learning content has roughly speaking the same structures. So every business has these two sides of the house. You have the side which needs to be highly um, reflective of the actual business and the way the business functions, and then you have the reference and knowledge and learning content, which is pretty consistent. So it's not that Dita is old or stale. It's that it's stable. And it's stable hmm. because the notions around how that content is managed and how it should be deployed and delivered and, and dealt with are also quite consistent and stable. Um, so I know that's not the question you asked me, but it's something I've been asked recently and I have found to be very uh, very helpful to explain. No, this makes sense. And I just took notes uh, as you're talking. And it's like basically what you're saying is that your product, and I'm not trying to be a salesperson for Easy Data, but you're looking at easy data as a portion of a essentially a content ecosystem where you're exposing the content that's in your cms to an api so other things can consume it essentially and a part also including things like marcom or stuff from content from other locations yeah yeah and that's that's the way of the future that's how the future is going to work is that like you will have um have data systems they'll need to interoperate they'll all connect via api Experiences will be um, will be mashups of APIs, like the of what comes through. Um, so, you know, the thing is, you should be able to have expectations about what you'll get out of uh, reference and, and knowledge systems, like you know, ours, and you should have um, more um, specific expectations based on your organizational requirements and information architecture as to what you'll get out of systems that are more um, like headless. Uh, what they're, they're databases, right? They're, da they're databases with really nice user experiences to build them up. That's so cool because you could basically take it and like a developer can take in and make components. And I want to talk about components in a minute, but um, they could basically take your content and put it as a React component, say, or an Angular component and put it into, you know, part of their product information page. It's re that's really, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I always, I used to, for some reason, I always said it was like an all-in-one. Easy to do was an all-in-one where you did the presentation layer as well as the, the, the you know, the, the, the data and the backend part of it. No, no, we really. Um, so I mean, you know, we work with people on some of the presentation layers. 
Um, and we've got some open source stuff that we put out there to make the presentation layer a little bit easier. I mean, obviously we integrate with the open toolkit, which will, mm-hmm. which will render stuff for you. Um, but like our real core IP is it's in the authoring piece, the managing piece, and the, um, the deploy via API piece. Okay. Oh, that's cool. I didn't, I didn't realize. Today yeah. I learned. Anyhow. <laughs> so that's pretty good. It's interesting. And I, I assume that lends itself to like personalization where, you know, can, I mean, theoretically you can pick up pieces of content from your, from, you know, your content that are relevant to someone, you know, or moving forward, even like in a bot kind of formation. I mean, have you considered, or has, have if anyone considered using, pulling information from your API and and like using it as a, as a bot, like a chat bot? Um, yeah. So we actually have had a couple of customers who've done that. Um, and. Cause that's where I see all this is going. Like, especially with data, it's like the structure is just so easy to say, okay, well, you know, programmatically, okay, I need this and I need this and I need this. And then responses based on it. I can see that being really useful. Yeah. So it's really interesting. And nobody's really, one of the things is I've wanted to have time to do this, but I haven't. Nobody's really, to my knowledge, taken the bot piece of this to where it needs to go or kind of like mm. fruition. Um, and I think there's still a lot of, of research to be done there to like really get what you want to, and what you want out of it. And I'm not sure that it's a straight line in, in the way of running transformation, um, although a lot of it can be accomplished that way. Um, I think that there's going to be some more interesting solutions. So I did a, uh, a coffee and content episode um, last week, and it was on tagging for empathy, which going into the show, I will admit, I was kind of like, this is a weird topic. Um, but it turned out being one of our more interesting shows, because one of the things that's very interesting about like chatbots is that because they need to be, and this wasn't directly brought up in the show, but it was something I was thinking about while, uh, while we were in the show, because they need to be like responsive real time, there is a natural expectation that they're going to meet you where you are from an, from an empathetic pers- perspective, right? Mm, so you've been yeah. on a chatbot, let's say you've lost your credit card and you're overseas, right? And you get onto a chatbot, you're probably a little frantic and you're, if that chatbot is, is treating you like this is, you know, if the, if the content is really upbeat and it's very sales oriented and it's like really promotional, that's not the right place for you at that moment, right? Like that's a bad experience. Um, hmm. So some of that I think can be authored, you know, it can like, it, it can be a, a part of like switching rails and like just being cognizant of those things. But I don't think that you can do it 100%. So one of the things that I think is really interesting about where some of this goes in the future is figuring out a way for human beings to put the information into content and allow the machines to deliver the content to users Mm. in the way that it should be delivered at that moment in time. And I think that that not only means stringing together different pieces of content intelligently, I think it also potentially means rewriting some of the content to maintain mm. the same information signals, but to change the emotional um, plane that it's being delivered on. So, oh god, that's crazy. That's a, they're, they're actually so there are some applications that do this now with like GTP three and stuff like that, like the newest AI engines. Um, but they're not really there yet, so they're not something you want to deploy. Mm. Um, but it's the um, but you still would need to be able to use structured content to back all of this stuff. Like it's not something you want to do with unstructured content. So yeah. that's a really, really long way of answering the question of like, does anybody do this with data? And it's like, yeah, but there's like really more interesting things that are coming, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you pretty much said the definition of content strategy where it's, you know, put info into content and a lot of machines deliver content to the users at the moment in time that they need it. I think that's pretty much the definition of content strategy. So that's going to be really, really interesting to see as things move forward. Yeah, I mean, like it's, there is, there's so much change possible in this industry right now. Mm. The bigger question is not 
whether or not it's possible for this industry to evolve and to become something um, that looks very different than it does today. I think the, the bigger question is whether or not it will. I don't know that. <laughs> I, I mean, I think there's really a human question there. Like, you know, we've had a lot of technology, do a lot of really cool things in this industry for a while. And in some ways, we've chosen not to implement some of them um, because it's complicated. So, like, are we going to this time? I don't know. It's interesting. That's a whole other episode, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I do that but, sometimes. Yeah, I, I mean... Actually, I want to I want to change gears a little bit because you talked about coffee and content, and I didn't realize I that you're I mean I heard about coffee and content with Scott Abel, who's the content wrangler who we had on the show, but I didn't realize that you were a part of it and that also that it was a recurring kind of what kind of thing. So I mean, you've got two podcasts going on right now. You've got that, and you've got content components. So, dude, yeah, I mean, yeah. do you sleep? <laughs> um, uh, I actually I, I sleep pretty well. Um, so. The coffee and content, for the record, was uh, that that was the thing that I started. I started okay. with Scott, but I'm one of the founders of Coffee and Content. And the original notion was that. So, have you seen our? Um, have you seen the series of uh, quickeners that we did? Um, no. I... Okay. So they're they're kind of fun. You should go check them out. They're actually like, really entertaining. But they're uh, you can find them all on EasyData.com or on our YouTube channel. I think um, they're like a YouTube guys. channel. No shit. Yeah, easy to just go on. I don't have one. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, um, but they're I didn't all, mean you personally, but yeah. So coffee and content, the original idea for coffee and content was that I was going to dress up like a barista and make coffee, which takes about, it takes about like five or six minutes to like make a pour over because I, I make pour, I used to make pour, pour overs every morning in the office. And I would always stand there and talk to somebody while I was making my pour over. So we were like, oh, like this is a, this is a short form. Like you can put on funny things and you can make coffee and talk about things with content and we'll do it as kind of like this fun little like uh, webinar-ish type thing. Well, the pandemic hit and it got like just too operationally crazy to do that. And we had already been doing these quick and ours in this other place. And we've been talking to Scott about this and Scott was like, well, why don't we just do it as a talk show and we can do it together and then it can be um like kind of like a like a like a coffee and content talk show and we were like yeah okay let's try that let's see if that works out and it has it's been great like we do it every other week uh, we've had tons of really interesting people on it um it's been a lot of fun um, but that is how coffee and content came to be so that is a long way of saying you should know that i'm on it because it was my thing i started it and scott's thing and scott's thing scott it's, it's half scott's <laughs> Wow, I didn't, I didn't know. I mean, and, and, but you've also started another podcast called Content Components, which is, yeah, you know, it sounds a little close to content content, but I'll, I'll be okay. <laughs> Just, so the components is the big word. There you go. There you go. But yeah, I mean, that's that's another like short form podcast that you've started. So tell us a little bit more about that one. Um, so that one, the the funny thing about that one, and and like we kind of did this in. Uh, intentionally to have a little bit of like a juxtaposition here is that we wanted to do something that was short form, that was truly a podcast that was about structured content and content strategy, but was really unstructured. Like that was kind of the idea. Like we wanted it to be something where it was, it was really more something that you'd listen to because it had some interesting thoughts on it. And less because it was going to be like a really productive use of your time. Um, you know, one of the things that we noticed in the content industry was that there were kind of like two primary forms of podcasts around this. There were like interview styles, which like this is and uh, coffee and content is. And there's, there's a couple of like good content strategy podcasts that are like that. Right. And we felt like that space was really was was being done well. And like, we didn't need to contribute anything to that. Mm. Now, that being said, we have done an interview, but it was a, kind of a special case, but we've only done one. And I think it gets released next week. Anyways, um, so um, we saw that. And then we saw some other ones that were like very explanatory, like Scriptorium does a podcast, which is um, topical. And like, they really like go into stuff and they like really mm. explain it. And it's longer too, like they're longer form. Um, and I think our industry tends to move towards longer form. Like that's kind of like a natural bias we have. Um, so we were like, well, you know, this is something that nobody's really doing. Nobody's doing something that's shorter. Um, it's snackable. 
which is a term I hate, but I love saying. Um, <laughs> and um, we just thought it'd be kind of fun, right? Like, you know, we get together and we, we record a bunch of podcasts and we joke around and we edit a lot of it out because it's, <laughs> because it's um, because there's a lot of dead space in there and stuff that's not appropriate to put on podcasts. It's just Jared and I like screwing around and, and messing with Tim. Um, but, um, yeah, so like we just thought it'd be, a, it'd be kind of a fun thing to do and people seem to like it. So, I mean, we're going to keep doing it. Yeah. I listened to the first episode and I listened to one of the ones on taxonomy. I'm like, wow. And like I said, it's like, it's like deep. It's not like you guys are like just touching the surface. It's like, wow, this is some serious stuff to, to think about. So are you having fun with it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun. And the thing is like, Jared and I have a really good rapport. Um, so we've known each other for quite a while and, um, you know, we, we joke around a lot and, um, he's, he's a, uh, he's a philosophy PhD. Um, oh, wow. Jeez. Yeah, so like he's, he's got an opinion. Okay. That explains on, a lot. Yeah. On <laughs> everything. Um, and I really like trying to convince him he's wrong about things. Um, so the, uh, you know, we've, we've built a friendship on a, on a healthy amount of, um, of debate and we were like, oh, well, this is, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see where this goes. So it's, it's a, it's a good pairing for the type of podcast that we wanted to do there. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah. cool. So I guess my, one of my last questions to you is what, you know, I know you're a bit times constrained, but what, what gets you up every day? I mean, what, what do you enjoy about being a CEO of a company? So I don't get that. I don't get to ask too many people that. Um, I don't get asked that very often. Uh, what do I enjoy? Well, um, I mean, so one of the things that's like really, I'm not sure if I'm, if, if I'm answering the what do I enjoy part of this, but I will answer, I'll answer this in some way and then I'll tell you whether or not the thing I said is the thing I enjoyed. Um, so my job is kind of whatever needs to be done to accomplish the thing, whatever that thing is. Like you, it's mostly growth. I mean, I guess when it comes right down to it, but I view growth very much in the way of like, um, the more we grow, the more there are people out there who are being efficient, creating good content. So like to me, our growth is more of that in the world. Mm. Um, so it's not like, I don't really, I mean, obviously I have to look at the bottom line because I've got fiduciary responsibilities and all that kind of stuff. Um, but when I think about growth, I don't always think about it in financial terms. I hope none of our investors are listening to this. Um, the, um, but I like to think about it in terms of like of usage and like value generation and all that kind of stuff, which do generate revenue, clearly. Um, so the thing that needs to be done to accomplish growth or you know furtherance of mission or uh, expansion of value creation, all those types of things, it changes all the time. Like it's never the same stuff. And, you know, someday, some months, I guess, I'm like really focused on like just kind of general promotional activities, right? Like I'm trying to like just make people more aware of us. You know, I'm trying to um, talk to people about the value of structured content. Like I'm trying to like, you know, convince them that they should stop spending all of this time doing it this really inefficient way, right? Um, and, you know, there's that aspect of my job. And then I switch over and like, I'm doing like businessy stuff, right? So I'm dealing with, you know, the financial aspects of things. I'm like dealing with, um, you know, the team-based aspect of things, like trying to um, just get all of the things to stay the way they are or to expand or to change in a way that's going to be um, mm -hmm. most efficient and beneficial for the actual business. So, you know, there's, there's a wide variety of responsibilities. Um, and then on top of that, there's no job description, right? So mm. like literally my job description is don't run my money, <laughs> like, right? So, um, and like maximize the, you know, I mean, it's like maximize growth, right? It's like maximize growth, don't run out of money. Um, but how you go about accomplishing that, there's, there's just, there's a million different ways you can do it, right? So, you know, it's, and there's an aspect of that that I love. I love the idea that I really get to write my day, I get to like decide, you know, I get to write my own story every day. I get mm. to decide what is the best usage of my time. And there's parts of it that I hate because I have to write my own story and decide what the best usage <laughs> of my time are every day. Like, I'll tell you what, like, I, after this gig, whenever this is over, if it ever is over, um, 
I would love to just like go have a job for a while. Like that sounds like someone can hand me a list of things to do and I go and do them. And then I'd like punch out at, you know, whatever, 6 p.m. and be like, hey, look, I can polish a list of things. So it's a double-edged sword, but I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's fun. It's, you know, it's a, it's an adventure. Um, I think that's the thing I love most. It's an adventure. Um, mm. So yeah, it's cool. Cool. All right. So you're a CEO of a company, you've got two podcasts and you're on my podcast. What do you talk about and what do you do when you're not doing all this stuff? Um, like what well, do you do for fun for God's sake? These days, I mean, you could ask my dog. I talk to him a lot. <laughs> um, the, um, I mean, I hang out with my son as much as I possibly can, you know, just like doing like little kid stuff. Oh, cool. um, the, uh, I got, uh, he's, he's a little over two. Um, so he's at a really, really fun age. Um, we build things, um, like, uh, ramps for cars to jump into <laughs> buildings and stuff like that. I've got some fun videos I can send them to you. Um, and um other than that like so i'm a motorcyclist um oh, wow. i like riding my motorcycle um oh, okay. I'm actually getting it out of out of winter storage maybe tomorrow maybe wednesday um nice. i was in pre-pandemic time a pretty avid rock climber but that hasn't done anything in the last you know, i've been able to do that for like you know a year almost um so that's uh that i'm looking forward to getting back into um yeah i don't know stuff stuff cool cool man well then i won't keep you any further because i know you have a busy lifestyle so it was really great talking to you. it was good to have you on and talk about the business aspect of things um I, we should probably definitely catch up offline and have a drink together like a, a zoom drink or something just to catch up that'd be awesome but, uh, yeah so um could you tell people where we can find you online like where do we like where do we find all your podcasts where do we find you uh, yeah. So, um, the podcast, you would probably actually be best to find, you can look, you can look up on Apple podcasts or on Google podcasts. It's components, it's content components with Patrick. Um, okay. and you punch that in, it will come up. Um, but we also tweet about it. So it's, I mean, like if you go to like at easy data on Twitter, like you'll, you'll, you'll find it. Um, I'm just at Patrick Bozik on Twitter. Um, I'm, uh, I'm very easy to notice on Twitter because I'm wearing like um, like bubblegum sunglasses and a pink shirt. Um, I also used to run a, a lot of Spartan races. That's what that's from. Okay. Um, so wow. The, um, the uh, I picked that picture because like you can't scroll through Twitter and be like looking at everybody and not notice me. Like it's like it's <laughs> nice. an outrageous picture. There you go. Like you have to look at it, love it or hate it. Content marketing. Yep, content marketing. Um, I'm also like on LinkedIn. I'm, I think I'm just in slash Patrick. Is that how that works? Or Patrick, like Patrick Bosek. Yeah. 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 I think it's just my name. Um, and then, um, is that all the digital channels? I don't do Facebook. So yeah, don't find me on Facebook. No, but otherwise that's, that's, that's yeah. Twitter's really the place that I hang out. Honestly. I hear you, man. Cool. Well, thanks again, man, Patrick. Thanks for taking your time. It's good to catch up with you again. Yeah, I'm doing my best. Thanks for having me, Ed. So it's a ton of fun. And uh, let's, uh, let's, let's Zoom beer or conference beer as soon as possible. <laughs>